Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts and other things they're involved in. My guest today, a global youth development specialist, has embraced challenges and overcome social and economic obstacles to become an expert in the youth development field and the dedicated role model that he is today. Domestic violence, homelessness, gang violence, and bullying shaped his future in an amazing and most unexpected way. As a child, he and his family suffered great tragedies due to domestic violence. The deaths and near deaths of 12 family members became a motivating factor for him growing up. He opened the IM Defense Institute to honor his loved ones. He has taught martial arts in the last 20 years and has several successful after-school programs in the Atlanta area. He's been called the Tony Robbins of youth development. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Sean Banks. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, Brian. I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I appreciate your time. I know it's been, uh, we've been trying to schedule it for a few weeks and we both have kind of busy schedules, so I'm glad we finally, <laughs> glad we finally worked it out. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I'm happy we did. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Well, how we kick it off with all my guests, I want to go back to the very beginning. I want to know kind of what led to that first spark, that very first interest in martial arts that kicked off your journey. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, it started for me with my mom, actually. As a kid, we lived in inner city Seattle. And so at the time, gang violence was really bad. And actually, crack had been, you know, recently introduced into the inner city. So I remember what it was like before crack hit the inner city and what it was like after crack hit the inner city. Before crack hit the inner city, you know, you could be outside, you could play. I mean, there was really no serious gang violence going on. Uh, there really wasn't a lot of crime uh, in the inner city. You'd have a simple, you know, robber or something like that, but nothing as violent as what happened after crack hit the inner city. And so once crack came, everything changed. You couldn't stay outside like you used to. I mean, this gang violence was crazy. And so what my mom did was she wanted me to have a different kind of influence uh, in my life. I mean, just growing up inner city, single parent household. So she put me into a Taekwondo program at the Boys and Girls Club. Nice. Uh, right down the street from our house. And that's how it started. I was about six years old. And she said, you know what? You're going to the Boys and Girls Club. You're going to be around some good, positive people. And that's how it started. And then from there, you know, at first I thought I was going to be like, you know, how you see in the karate movies, right? You're instantly like <laughs> flipping and jumping and flying through the air. Yep. And none of that happened. So I didn't like it. But she made me stick with it because of the discipline and, you know, and everything that comes with it. So from there, it lit a spark. And so then I went from Taekwondo and then there was a Hungar Kung Fu program that was in Chinatown and downtown Seattle. And there was a martial arts supply store at the bottom of that. And so every time I get to go and my mother used to love to go to this uh Chinese restaurant called Tai Tung, which is right across the street. And so we would go to Tai Tung and then she let me go to this store. And then I started going to this martial, this other martial arts school. So I just fell in love with it uh, as a kid. And, but it started from my mom. 
Okay. So do you remember, first of all, how long were you in that Taekwondo school? And do you remember like which, which style of Taekwondo, which system, which Kwan it was? I actually do not. Okay. Um, I wasn't there for, I mean, cause I went from there maybe about a year. I mean, I was six years old. So, okay. I mean, I don't really remember what, what, if it was like American Taekwondo or just World Taekwondo Federation, I don't remember, but I remember being there and I remember my instructor and I remember one, the one thing I remember about him uh, two things. I remember watching him demo fighting against multiple attackers, right, as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that, and I remember the smile that he had. And he had just the warmest, coolest smile. So it's interesting to see a guy that could, like, beat up all these people at one time, but which just had the warmest, most gentle heart. And so that actually is what kind of created the foundation for me as I started teaching as I got older was just remembering that gentleman and his smile. Uh, But I went from there and I went into Hungar. Kung Fu was actually where I started really getting into it because I was a little older uh, after that and, you know, had a little bit more discipline and, 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 uh, you know, willingness to stick with it. Okay. And I definitely want to get a little more into Hungar. One more question on the Taekwondo. And that year you were doing it, did you ever get into the competition side of things? No, at that age, no, I didn't. I mean, it was more about, man, just going to the Boys and Girls Club and, and getting into the, you know, just actually doing it and getting the exposure to it. I'm not even sure if they had a, a competition level at the Boys and Girls Club. I mean, it's possible that they did, mm-hmm. but I mean, I wouldn't have. Uh, I mean, at that age, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have gotten into that, especially the situation. Yeah. That wasn't what I was there for. Okay, cool. So then, Hungar. It was right near this martial arts school and uh, this martial arts store and everything that you were going to. What was it that? Uh-huh. Drew, what was it about Hungar that drew you in? I mean, it's, I. I I know a little bit about the style. I've interviewed a few people who have done it, but I don't know a lot. So what was it about it that really kind of connected with you? Uh, what connected with me as far as Hungar Kung Fu really was just the fact that it was just a different style. Uh, as a kid, I mean, I was just into anything that had to do with martial arts and kicking and punching and anything. So it was just the fact that it was different for me is what got me into it. I wanted to try and look at all kinds of different martial arts. And that just kind of lit my fire. And so it was right above the martial arts store that I would go to all the time as a kid. So I said, oh, okay, mama, I want to try this and I want to try something different. And so she let me do it. And so I tried Hungar Kung Fu for a while. And I mean, I say for a while, I mean, as a kid, I mean, maybe a year, year or two. I mean, it was just, you know, and then from there, I mean, I went on something else. And so I just had an opportunity to have a lot of exposure, you know, to different arts. So what are some of the things you remember about them? I'm just curious about that. Cause I grew up in a town, we never had a martial arts store. If I wanted anything martial, I mean, we had a, a, a sporting goods store that, you know, maybe had like some throwing stars or something like that when I was a kid that they probably yeah. sold us when they shouldn't have had it as 10 years old right, selling right, a throwing star. Right. But I'm just, you know, what are some right. of the things they had in there and some of the things that you'd buy at that age? Oh man, they had like the blow darts, right? Like the blow darts, ninja stars. Uh, I mean, nunchucks. I mean, you'd have like, just like the ball and change. You'd have the, Oh man, the grappling hooks, you'd have yeah. uh, like the bear cloth, like the climbing cloth. I mean, everything was in this store. I mean, it was a big time when like uh, Shokasugi was big with like mm-hmm. Revenge of the Ninja and, and Return of the Ninja, all those movies. And so they'd have all his posters in there. And then of course, just being down in Chinatown, you'd have a lot of Bruce Lee stuff. And then yep. Bruce Lee was buried in Seattle. So, you know, there's just a big connection there. So there's all kind of Bruce Lee stuff there. And I mean, all kind of staffs and Vulcans and, and just all kind of stuff was in this store. And as a kid, it was just like, that was my toy store, right? Going to somewhere yeah. like that was just like, it was like, wow. And my mom, uh, so the, the trade-off was as long as I did well in school, I get good grades in school. 
she would let me get this stuff. So by this time, we had moved out of the inner city. My mother started a cleaning service, and she was able to get us out of the inner city and get us to a more stable community, a more bigger area where we, you know, had just, you know, backyard and all this stuff. And so that was the thing that was keeping me out of trouble was, you know, practicing my techniques and, you know, being a, you know, imaginary karate master in the backyard and all that stuff. And so she would let me get all this stuff, right? And she would let me practice and learn how to use it because as long as it was keeping me out of trouble and I was, you know, focused on that, she was fine with it. So I got to get a lot of stuff, like uh, stuff that probably, you know, a nine, 10 year old kid nowadays, you know, <laughs> yeah. shouldn't have. Yeah. Man, I'm jealous. <laughs> so do you, do, yeah, you, do you know, do you still have any of that original stuff you bought, like in a box somewhere? I do. Nice. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I still have it, man. And, That's I, and awesome. I have, you know, my boys. So now I have two boys and, you know, and they're in uh you know, traditional Taekwondo right now. So they can get a, a good solid foundation and, and so, you know, we work out and stuff and I still have all this stuff, which is really cool because it's all still there. It's good quality stuff. And, uh, you know, they get to see it in the practice with them. And one of my sons the other day wanted to give some of his friends like some ninja stars. And I said, hey, look, now I got to talk to the parents. You know, I mean, you can't just <laughs> yeah. give these kids this stuff, right? We don't go to school with like five ninja stars. Like, we don't need that. So let's talk to their parents. And so their parents were cool with it because they work out together. But yeah, man, it's great. I still got all that stuff. Yeah. That is so awesome. I'm so jealous. I, I would have killed for a store. Like I said, we had a, a, a sporting goods store that had like two different kinds of nunchucks, and I think that's all they had. They didn't, not even nunchucks. They, they had throwing stars, and I think they had one thing of foam nunchucks, and that's it. So otherwise, yeah. it was just sporting goods. Anything else, we had to like order and, and hope we'd get it. So, hey, Brian, I've knocked myself in the head many times with my nunchucks, <laughs> man. Hey, working them, using them, trying to flip them back up under your arm and yep. coming forward, man. Oh God. Yeah. It hurts too. That is so awesome. I love it. So then what was next you did Taekwondo? You did, you did Hungar. What, what was next in your uh-huh. martial arts journey? Uh, so after that, uh, we moved to Atlanta and I got into uh hot keto and that was really the art that I really kind of fell in love with for a while because I really got into that. I really got into the techniques. It takes time to, learn the movements and you know how keto has a lot to do with pressure points which people don't understand is that it's not just you know you have aikido which you know which i've done some some seminars with and stuff which is really cool but with Hakido, I mean, it's really, you know, you're dealing with pressure points and as well as the locks. And then there's a variation of Hakido called, called Hankido, H-A-N-K-I-D-O, uh, which has to do more with circular movement. And it was actually was originated from, you know, what seemed to be more of a dancing style, uh, because at that time in Korea, uh, they weren't allowed to really practice the art. And so they had to, you know, kind of disguise in like a dancing style. So there's a lot of circular movement with it. Uh, and so I really fell in love with that and really learning that. And so I did that uh, for, uh, man, you know, over over a decade and, oh, wow. and just, you know, and just, yeah, and just, and just I stuck with that. And so I've always just kind of been like a, you know, just like a student of the art. It's been mm-hmm. my thing. It's just to kind of study the different arts because I get into the culture. Uh, the culture of the people and, and just the culture of the of the art itself. Uh, and so, yeah, I really fell in love with Hakido. So that's that's where I went after that. So do you consider that probably your core system since you did it for that long? Yes. Okay. Yes, I would I would consider that more of a more of my core system because with the style I learned, which came from so studying with um, with Master Moreland, Master Master S R Moreland, and Grandmaster Min Suk Song. Uh, taking their two variations of arts. They're both hot keto instructors. And so that was, you know, really where I was able to kind of create a foundation for, you know, myself and infusing that with, you know, other things that I had done after that. So I did like Krav Maga, 
uh, which I really like, which is yeah. actually really cool. And I actually want to get into that more now as an adult, which I think I think it's just a really cool art. It's really mm-hmm. effective. And, you know, and I just think as a martial artist, you should always learn and learn different styles and different variations to kind of keep your body doing different movements, learning different things, you know, and just making your art more dynamic. Agreed. And you, you mentioned what other styles? And you, you've studied quite a few. You're kind of, kind of like me. I think I studied over a dozen styles over the 40 years I've been doing it. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, just kind of bounced around. I mean, I, I mean, I researched a lot into like ninjutsu as a kid because mm-hmm. I was just fascinated with it. Um, I never went to like a ninjutsu school, but I, I, I researched that. But I would say I, outside of Krav Maga, I mean, like I say, I did some, some Aikido stuff. So, uh, uh, and then that would be, that'd be about it for me. I never really got into like jujitsu. I'm considering that at this point. Um, yeah, it was really interesting with the Hapkido, right? I mean, the same locks that we would do, I mean, not at all comparing it to jujitsu saying it's the same, but you know, the locks you can do standing up, you can do on the ground as well. Right. I like the idea of jujitsu and like Brazilian jujitsu. I really like it. And I think it would be a good workout for me. And then it's also something that like, again, like we're saying as a martial arts, you have to know, you got to at least be able to know, right? You got to mm-hmm. know what somebody else is either capable of doing or attempting to do so that you can have some kind of defense against it. Right. So at what age, you mentioned teachings, and I know it's something you still do. So at what age did sure. that become something you got involved? What age, what belt level did you get involved in teaching for martial arts? I got into teaching martial arts, oh man, in my, in my 20s. I mean, by that time, I mean, I was fourth degree black belt, and I was into it with another buddy of mine. And so that was really when I actually got into teaching. I mean, of course, you know, when you're, you know, when you're a black belt, you'll teach classes, right? right. Or you'll lead a class, yep. right? Which you do all the time, but actually getting into it for myself, actually as a way to keep my lights on and put food on my table. Uh, I was in my, I was in my twenties and it was an interesting journey because I always wanted to be on the business side of it. I never actually wanted to be on the mat or in the dojo actually teaching classes. That was never where I wanted to be. So it's interesting that I actually ended up there. So think back to then, maybe as a first degree, you first helped with class to now where you're still teaching. What do you think mm-hmm. has changed the most about your teaching style over the years? What's changed the most about my, my teaching style is what I want the students to get out of it because I still focus primarily on youth. And so, you know, I'll work with kids now from, you know, school age kids, right? So that's kindergarten up to, you know, pretty much high school. Uh, I'll do some women's self-defense classes. I do a lot of those. But with the kids, what I want them to get, of course, we want them to learn how to get the, the discipline, right? So I'm still big on training and being physically fit and being able to do certain things. But I have more compassion for a kid that's not able to do things that an athlete is able to do, right? Because you have some kids that are athletic can come into a martial arts program and they might be able to do a jump front kick just as good as a, you know, a yellow belt or a green belt. They may not know the technique as well, but the the athletic aspect of it, they can get down. It's the development that I want them to get more now, or especially with things going on and where we are in society. So the focus, the discipline, the self-control, right? The the confidence, right? Uh, just applying it to their everyday life is what I really try to focus on with kids at the end of the day uh, with class. It's more of the personal development side. Okay. And then what kind of led to the decision of you opening your own school, you know, your own school, you and launching your own programs? The, my partner at the time, remember I said I wanted to be on the business side of it. Mm-hmm. And my partner decided he wanted to go into 
the movie industry. The movie industry started kicking off in Atlanta yeah. and he wanted to be like a stunt double and, you know, be, you know, extras in movies and action movies and things like that. He said, man, I really think this is my passion. And so I said, okay, cool. We'll go for it. You know? And so at first I said, okay, cool. We're just going to leave all this stuff here and I'll like manage you. Right. I want to be on the business side. Uh, and it didn't quite work out that way. So it's like, well, here I am. All right, I got to figure out how I'm going to make a living for myself. And I didn't have any passion to work with kids like that. I really couldn't stand kids, to be honest with you. Uh, and I, I couldn't. And uh, but it was like, all right, how do we? I got to keep these lights on, right? I found myself in a situation where you know I lost the home that I was living in. I had to kind of start over. And I was living in my sister's basement, and it was like, okay, how do I get myself out of this? And so that was what happened. Once he left, I said, okay, I got to do something. So I started teaching. Uh, and, I, and from teaching, I started seeing the need for it because I thought there were programs all over and personal development stuff and blah, blah, blah for kids everywhere. And I saw there was a need that there really wasn't enough. And even today, in 2023, there still aren't enough martial arts programs for kids, even though, you know, you might think there's one on every corner. There's still not enough of them because of you could tell because if there were more programs, we'd have more disciplined kids uh, in the community. Okay. And now, do you actually have a one specific physical location or do you do pretty much programs in different places that you go to? I do programs in different places that I go to. And what that's allowed me to do uh, is to be able to keep the programs affordable for, for families, right? Because the, a lot of times with martial arts uh, in particular, it becomes very class-based. If your parents have a whole lot of extra money, right, or a lot of extra money, most times, right, you have some parents who are like, hey, look, I don't have the money, but you need this this stuff. Yeah. But it tends to be class-based, where if you have extra money, then those are where your martial arts schools are. Mm -hmm. And so then the kids that typically need the discipline and the focus and the self-confidence and everything, the leadership skills and the, the humility, right, everything that comes from martial arts, they don't get it. And so by having programs in different areas, it allows us to reduce the cost where we have, you know, I'm able to focus on volume, but still be able to give a quality program. So now did you just start with one? And if so, kind of talk about how that very first program started and then how long before you expanded and start, cause you're, is it over 20 you have now? Yeah. Okay. So I, I started with, well, how the first one started uh, was kind of by, by necessity. I mean, I had one location said, hey, look, yeah, you can come here and, and teach classes. And I saw that worked and people came and they said, okay, this is actually actually a nice class. We're not going to leave. You know, like, okay, <laughs> this guy actually, this guy may actually know what he's talking about. Okay, we'll stick around for a while. And so when I saw that, then it was like, okay, let's open up another one and open up another one and open up another one. And so I just started opening up more. And then, you know, and that's where we got into like the summer camps and things like that, opening up programs you know for kids and expanding the personal development brand for kids wow that is so cool i, I love that i mean I, that's just um, anyone who teaches with kids because it, it's yeah someone who's been in martial arts as long as i have i know it even though many instructors try not all of them are good teaching kids I, right i think it takes a special person and i've yeah, i've been lucky the, the taekwondo traditional taekwondo instructor i've been with now for since 1994 is amazing with kids and wow. you know if if i would have stayed with the first taekwondo instructor i was with i would have never ever put my kids into it because uh, <laughs> I, I tell everyone i i jokingly it's jokingly but it's true i tell everyone he's my john crease I mean, he was, oh, wow. he was not a nice person and drove me yeah. to the point where I hated martial arts for a while and almost uh -huh. quit. And luckily uh -huh. I'm, I met a new instructor. So yeah, I, I know, I know that it definitely takes a special person to teach kids. So that's, that's congrats on that. That's really awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. So talk a little bit about, I've never actually asked a Hapkido practitioner about this. So talk a little bit about your black belt test. What, what kind of happens during a Hapkido black belt test? 
they're all very different, right? And so, and it's different based on the instructors. So, for example, you uh, with one, like for example, with uh, with Grandmaster Merlin, I mean, you would do, you know, of course, you're doing various locks, various takedowns, uh, lots of conditioning um you're doing but then also with him for example uh you're doing kicks and punches and you're also doing forms that he created on his on his own which were were called uh buddhist monk forms is what he his variation of forms because Mm -hmm. grandmaster morland is uh a ninth degree black belt in taekwondo and also a ninth degree black belt in hakido so what he did uh he actually that's actually where the han keto influence came from and so what he did is he fused all that together in his classes and also in his tests. So, so in a person's mind, it's like, okay, how do you test doing these locks and these takedowns without hurting each other? But I mean, from being in the class and practicing all the time, you learn how to fall and you learn the correct ways to fall so yep. that you're falling and you're not hurting yourself, which makes the art so effective is that the people that you, you know, you would have to use it against don't know those falls and those takedowns. Right. Uh, but in those tests, I mean, a few hours, Right. And you're working on your locks, different locks. He might locks from a punch from a from, you know, a wrist grab, you know, two arm wrist grab, you know, choke holds, whatever. And you would work those techniques. And then we may go into, you know, we would do sparring and stuff uh, or, you know, kicks and punches and things. And I mean, that was what our tests were like. And sometimes those tests would be over a series of days. So you might have, you know, a test one day and then you would come back and do something else the next day and then something else the next day. And they were very challenging because that was just the way that he was uh where it was a very challenging test with grandmaster song for example you know his test would be same kind of variation of things where you would work on your locks and work on those takedowns but you wouldn't do as many kicks and punches that really wasn't involved it was more about because of grandmaster song was more about the pressure points right are you able to actually do this lock it's one thing to do a lock and take a person down but are you actually hitting those pressure points to get the actual effect that's supposed to come from the lock because, you know, someone, you know, a guy 300 pounds, you know, or a guy, you know, jacked up and muscle, you know, you have to actually have the right angle to actually for that locker technique to work. So he was really big on the technique and the movement uh, because Grandmaster Song was actually, he was a trainer for uh, the uh, protection unit uh, for the Rock Army for the president of South okay. Korea. So he was real big on, yeah, man, real big on making sure that those techniques were right. So they were both equally <laughs> ruling test in, in, in different ways. Yeah. Wow. In your system and the style you trained in, if, if let's say you, you didn't pass the first time, uh, what is, how long do you have to wait before you can retest? And I, I've talked to so many people, so many styles, and it's been anywhere from one month to a year where you had to wait to like retest your black belt test if you didn't pass the first time. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would definitely have, so you mean in my system? Yeah. Well, the way I do it with my system, since I particularly work with youth is I uh, do it differently I where suppose, yeah. Yeah. So with, with youth, the thing is, is that you don't test until you're ready. Right. Right. So because with kids, the job is to build their confidence and not take it away. So, you know, I've had kids that will come to a test and they don't put forth the effort. Mm-hmm. Right. And when they don't put forth the effort, then normally they don't know the technique. Then, yeah, for that particular kid, they may wait a month. You know, they may have made a month and a half okay. uh, until they're at the point where they're showing that they know the technique and that they're actually putting forth the effort before they retest. But the way that I I do it with, with kids is that by the time they get to their belt test, they're ready for it. Right. And I do it that way because I want them to have the confidence 
And I want them to, because the a belt just jacks up a kid's confidence so much yes. that when they don't get it, it usually has to be a real reason that that kid didn't pass that test, which is normally that they show up and they don't put forth any effort. They don't try or they don't show that they're proficient at that level or at least somewhat proficient. Because again, we're dealing with kids, we're dealing with development, we're dealing with different athletic abilities. So what I've learned to do with my kids is I'm really looking for different things in different children, uh, which puts a challenge on the instructor because you have to know your students. So you can't have like a belt factory, right, where you're Mm -hmm. just throwing out belts with these kids just because you're making money. You actually have to know, okay, well, what is, you know, John's strength and his weaknesses? Okay, John's kick may not, you know, he may not have improved his kick that much, but he actually, but his key ops are better, right? Or his, or his comp, he's walking in, his head is up, he's showing more focus, he's getting better grades at school, right? Like how are, how is the art actually transcending in other areas for this kid, as opposed to the jock that comes in and plays football, basketball, baseball, right? And has all the athletic ability, right? But they may need focus. And so that's kind of how I've done it so that we're building their confidence. So that means that I don't test kids as much, Okay. right? So some schools will test, you know, every 90 days, some will do it every 60 days. For me, they might get two tests a year, right? Okay. But, you know, they're ready to go. They're, you know, they're proficient at their art. And then of course, because they're not testing as much, you know, they're, they're going full rank, you know, full belt changes, you know, as opposed to, you know, kind of half belting them sometimes. And of course that's dependent on the kid as well. Yeah. Okay. So do you know how many, how many students you've brought to black belt? Do you keep track of that? Yeah. So the, I've brought at this point, I mean, it's, you know, not a, not a ton, like about 25 kids. That's Um, that's not bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I I was reading, there was a a grandmaster I was reading about one time, created his own style and taught for like 40, 50 years and had brought less than a hundred people to black belt. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. If you got your black belt from them, you know, you earned it and you know, you deserved it. So that was, you know, cool way to think about it. Yeah. You know, you really, you know, you really earned it. Yeah. So have any of like, you said you've been doing this over 20 years now teaching Mm -hmm. now have any of them stuck with it as adults? Do you keep track with the ones as they, you know, get older and stuff have quite a few stuck with martial arts? Yeah. I have a few that have just, you know, I've gone to college and, you know, coming back from college and they're, you know, somewhere teaching martial arts in a different city or somewhere. And so I do have kids that have stuck with it, uh, which means a lot. Yeah. It's really cool. Cause I mean, especially for kids, I mean, you know, most kids don't get past their yellow belt, right? They go yellow, they might go green. And after that, they're like, forget it. A lot of them are like, okay, I'm not a Power Ranger, you know, in, in two months. You know, this is for the birds. But what I've learned with kids is that it's a, martial arts is like a seed. So you plant it when they're young. Then they may go five years without ever doing it. They might do it again once they get to high school or once they get to college or become an adult. Yep. And then it kind of sprouts again. Like, oh, man, I remember doing this and you know, I mean, I should really do this, get some self-defense, get some fitness. And so that's kind of how martial arts is. It's a lifelong journey. And so, yes, I've seen uh, kids, you know, become adults and, you know, go back to doing martial arts or come back. And I see them now and they may not be doing martial arts, but they're doing something else. And they'll come back and say, hey, man, I really appreciate it. You know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, especially a lot of kids I have with the summer camps and stuff because the camp started as a martial arts camp. Okay. And then, you know, blossomed into something else. And so, you know, it's always cool to see kids that are coming back from college, you know, and doing all kind of things or teaching, you know, um, it's a, it really, it's really cool. Is that Camp Warrior King? It is. Okay. Talk a little bit about that, kind of how that started and what, what that's about. Yeah, man. So Camp Warrior King is a personal development camp that's all about exposing kids to activities they normally wouldn't experience during the school year. 
And so, you know, we're taking them fishing, we're taking them hiking, we teach them how to hunt, we take them spelunking, they're going on all kinds of field trips, they're horseback riding, boxing, of course we have martial arts, mm -hmm. baking, cooking, anything that they want, just giving them some exposure. Because what we've learned is that, you know, if kids have exposure to things, then they have an alternative to, you know, getting in trouble. Right. And so that's where Camp Worrican came from. And, and really the need, what happened is that during the summertime, you know, the, the numbers would drop in the program. Mm -hmm. And so, right, because kids are on vacation, people are gone. And it's like, okay, how do we keep this from happening? And so, you know, a friend of mine one time said, hey, look, you should do like a camp. And so at first, I'm like, of course, I'm still like not really wanting to work with kids, right? I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, I'm teaching these martial arts and not too much wanting to work with these kids. And I said, all right, I'll do a camp for a week. And so I did a spring camp for a week and went very well. The parents liked it. And they said, okay, what about summertime? And I said, all right, I'll give you another week for the summer. And they're like, no, no, no. They're like, man, if you're going to do a camp, like, we need at least a month or more. And I was like, a month or more? You got to be kidding me. I don't want to work with these kids for an hour or two. They're going to them all day. You know what I mean? So, but I ended up doing it. And, you know, Camp World King's been open for uh, for 10 years. And, um, you know, we've had, you know, just thousands and thousands of kids come through the camp. A lot of them have been kids that started in a martial arts program or come from one of the martial arts schools and they'll come to camp. And so it's an opportunity for them to have a great time and to get those other personal development skills. Because what I started seeing, Brian, in the classes was that these kids need more than what they're just getting from the kicks and punches, right? right? Or what they're getting from being in class once or twice a week. They need more personal development, right? They need to understand that they need to wear deodorant and brush their teeth regularly or be respectful at home, right? And we can't teach that in a class and also teach, you know, a form, a kick, a punch, a block, whatever. And so that was kind of where Camp King came from. And, you know, it, it took off. That's so cool. So do they, they do uh, kayaking or canoeing? Yes. Nice. Yes, they do. Yes, do. We do what we do whitewater rafting at camp. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've, yeah man. I've never done year. that. I've, I've loved kayaking, oh, but I've never done whitewater rafting. That's cool. Bro, go. If you ever get a chance to do it, man, go, man. We take the kids every year. Uh, we go whitewater rafting. and they have an absolute blast. It was just a great experience for them. You know, at first we had to get the parents on board. But, you know, the people we have have been really safe. And, you know, the kids, of course, have on life jackets and helmets and all that. But we have a blast, man. Yeah. That is so fun. I love it. I got to found had something yeah, like man. that when I was a kid. I would have been all over. Yeah, that. man. We had one teacher in high school. Not, not, not quite like that, but we had so my, it was my senior year. And uh -huh. we had a class that we could take called community environment involvement. And what it was, mm. it was, I think it was only seniors. Mm. And it, what it was, it was the last three hours of our school day. It was one class and it was just mm -hmm. three teachers. It was basically the three coolest teachers in high school. And uh -huh. we, we went around like the city and we did like water testing and stuff. And we did all these different things, nice. but at, on like the final thing, we did this like two day thing where they invited uh -huh. the elementary school kids. The teacher had this cabin by the river, by the Mississippi river. And we uh -huh. went out there, we taught them like, you know, camping stuff and like how to you know, start fires with two sticks and kayaking yeah. in the river and everything. And it was so yeah. much fun. And I talked to someone in my hometown, like, yeah, they quit that program a few years after you guys graduated. That was so sad. It was such a cool thing, yeah. but that's you know, anything you can do with that, that with kids and have fun like that. Just what a, what a achievement. And, and they always remember it. You know what I mean? That's yes. the kind of stuff they remember. That's the stuff you remember from when you're a kid, like doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. And that is what we want them to continue to do. Right. So that when they get to college or, you know, military or mm -hmm. career or trade school or whatever, that they're like, man, I remember hiking. I remember kayaking. I remember fishing. I remember whitewater rafting. Man, I love that. I want to do it again. Yep. Right. And then they have that, those extra skills or hobbies or interests, you know?
I was over 30 years ago for me, and I remember it like it was yesterday. So You see what I mean? Yep, yep, that's so cool. Now, you mentioned you had two sons that were also involved in martial arts. So how, what yeah. ages and how long have they been doing that? Oh, man, so, I mean, of course, with, you know, their dad being into it, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they started, since they, once they started being able to walk, so, I mean, my kids are young, though. I mean, I have a, uh, my oldest is nine, my youngest is six, okay. and so, you know, I mean, when they were old enough, I mean, it was, I put them both in dough box partially because it was just cool to see. And I just want to see what my kid looked like in the uniform, right? Because it's <laughs> yep. like, you know, it's your kids, you're kind of living living through them, right? Or seeing yourself twice. And so, I mean, right now, actually what's interesting is that my youngest son is a red belt and my oldest son is a high blue, so a blue red stripe. And it's interesting because my youngest son got interested in it and started before my oldest. And so, yeah, which is really kind of interesting, even though I, I started training my oldest son, of course, when, you know, first. And then what I did is I said, okay, I want them to learn, just get foundation right traditional all right go traditional taekwondo get to get a foundation and then you know i'll allow them to start moving over to different things but i mean they like it and 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 one of the things i've done with them is kind of keep them where i don't want them to burn out i think that's the thing that happens to kids a lot yes is you know they go two three times a week and it's cool maybe the first six months maybe the first year because they're really getting into it but once they start finding other interests you know if you're not careful martial arts takes up all your time so as a kid, if you want to play basketball, well, basketball is twice a week. Martial arts is a twice a week commitment or more and more. How do you get them to stay with it over time and still do the other thing? And so what I've learned is that, okay, if you reduce the amount of time they're there, you know, it's okay if sometimes they're only going once a week because they're going to do it over the course of however many years, right? In martial arts, you never really stop. Yeah. You know, I've done it with my kids. And so I kind of like it because I, you know, I'm kind of hesitant on, I mean, you're six years old and you're, you know, second degree black belt or something like that. It's like you have the belt, but you don't really have the knowledge. Right. You know, and so you have to be careful with that, you know, with kids and stuff. But so. Yeah. That's just my own take on it. I agree with that because like the, the system of Taekwondo I do, we have junior black belts. They can't get their adult black belt till a certain age. Before that, they're considered yeah. a junior black belt. And, and where yeah. we have other schools that I've been to that where, you know, a nine-year-old gets a black belt and they're considered the same rank as an adult who's a black belt. And I just, I don't, I don't see I don't that. get it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see it. It's like yeah. you're nine years old and you're like, like I said, a second or third degree black belt. And it's like, I don't have, I mean, a, a, a normal kid that's nine years old, like you are, and may not have any knowledge of martial arts, if he's just a tougher kid, mm-hmm. right, is going to hand it to that other kid that has this black belt on and this, right, because it, it kind of gives a sense of confidence that is, you know, the confidence is great. Yes. And and the ability, right, you might have been able to show that you're proficient in a particular kick or a particular punch, but unless you're at tournaments or you're sparring or you're doing something regularly, yeah, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> You know, uh, let them get a little older. Let them hold on to that a little bit so that they're, you know, they have a reason to stick with it. Yeah. Uh, one thing my instructor told me like 20, so my instructor right now is the eighth degree. His instructor is the 10th degree. And one thing he mm. told me like 20 years ago that has always stuck with me. We had this conversation about kids and junior black belts. And he said, you know, according to his instructor, what he was told when he was younger, that, that no matter what in Korean, traditional Korean culture, children never outrank adults. So if you have a kid who's a black right. belt and an adult who's an orange belt, that adult is considered a higher rank because he is adult and it's a respect thing. And that's one thing about, you know, anytime people have brought that up, I'm, I kind of explain that and. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, absolutely. And that's important because it's about because of respect. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to. I mean, there's no way that I will walk in and I'm an orange belt as an adult and I got to bow to this snot nosed eight year old kid because he has a black. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. 
right? No, she's still an adult, right? So that's a thousand percent correct. Yep. Yep. So talk a little bit about the You Can Have It All magazine. I was reading about that before we were chatting, and that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, man. Um, You Can Have It All magazine is all about motivating kids to go after their dreams in spite of the circumstances. And the thought behind the magazine, I mean, we have, first of all, it's... You know, you only have a couple magazines out there that are built for kids. You have Time for Kids, right, which is a pretty pretty much about current events. Yep. You have National Geographic, it's animals, and you have Sports Illustrated. There really wasn't anything out there that kind of was more of a holistic approach that it talks about, you know, self-care, there's comics, fashion, you know, there's uh, kid-appropriate entertainment, uh, there's uh, sports and yep. uh, wildlife and all these different things, like food, all these things kids are interested in. And we put it in a magazine so that kids could be able to enjoy it and be motivated by seeing other kids doing really cool things around the world. So the magazine is in nine different countries. And so it's Australia, Malaysia, Taiwan, uh, Uganda, South Africa, the UK, Dominican Republic, Trinidad, Canada, and the United States. Wow. And of course, it's you know sprinkled around the US. And it's all about motivating these kids. And so the premise behind it, what really came from is that where it started was that you know, we have Camp Warrior King and we've done this martial arts stuff. It's like, how do we get this to more kids around the world? These personal development things that we're doing, how do we get more kids to see it, to be motivated by it? And so the magazine was the way that we did that. That's been our avenue to, to get more motivation out to youth. And so that's where you can have it all magazine came from. So the app will actually launch next week. I'm really excited about that. I put a lot of work into that. So that, yeah, so that kids can have a physical version at their school or if they want it at home, but then they can have it in their tablets and their phones. And I know that we're trying to get kids away from tablets and phones, right. but I don't think it's going to happen because you got everything is still leaning towards that direction of technology. And so it's like, okay, well, let's get something positive in there so that if they are on their phone, they can get something positive that they're actually into and it will, you know, make a difference in their life. Oh, first of all, I just, I love that you're doing the physical magazine because so many magazines have quit printing physical and gone strictly digital. And I, I love holding an actual magazine in my hands when I read it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to have it. I'm mean, right. But it's just, you know, because we don't see it and flip the pages and being able to put posters on their wall because that's important because, you know, kids are visual, right. And mm-hmm. they need to be able to see, you know, something on the wall that says, you know, you know, see it, believe it, do it, right? Or, you know, today's going to be your best day or just anything that they can see because that's what gets them going, just like it does for us. But if your kid's in a room and there's just nothing but four walls, right? There's nothing in their bathroom. They, they can't see something. Then it's a problem. Just like, you know, because if you can't see it, right, out of sight, out of mind is the best way to describe it. Yeah. That's one of the challenges with books and digital books is that, it's hard to get a child to read if they don't see a book, but if they see books, right? Like people that have bookshelves in their home, mm-hmm. there's a greater chance for their child to read a book because they're going to see the book and pick up a book when they're bored, right? Yep. You're, oh, I'm bored. Hey, go over there and pick up something to read. So the physical versions are, are extremely important. You yeah. can't get away from that. All three of my kids by like fifth grade were reading at like a senior le- high school to college level just because books have always been a big see? part of my life. You know, and that's my only, only downfall about doing this podcast. I used to read a book a week. And then once I started the podcast, I just don't have the time. So right. <laughs> it's kind of depressing, unfortunately, because I love reading. 
but it's like, yeah. and, and I actually, I do own a Nook. And the whole reason I bought a Nook is because I used to travel so much because uh-huh. I, I worked in the travel industry and it got to the point where I was bringing like sometimes an extra duffel bag or just full of books to read, like on the plane and on, wow. <laughs> in the hotel. And I bring like wow. sometimes eight, nine books with me. And then the Nook came out. I'm like, I'm just going to try it. And it was actually kind of nice. I could throw 30 books on my Nook and <laughs> nice. <laughs> not and have to, ha- that way. exactly. Not have to bring a whole suitcase of books with me. So <laughs> kind of nice. I know but. that's right. Yes, sir. I've tried to get into audiobooks a little bit more so that I can still get it, but it's just hard to, I'm an underliner, man. I'll mm-hmm. underline, I'll highlight, you know, or I might read something multiple times. Like, right, I yes. might read a paragraph more than once, right? Like, I'm real big into, like, sci-fi, like Star Wars. I love reading yes. Star Wars books. And I have to, like, to read a Star Wars book, for me, I have to get totally immersed, right? I got to get into the world. Yeah. So if it talks about a particular character, man, I got to look that character up and mm-hmm. I need to be able to see it. And that helps me visualize the world that I'm in as I'm reading. And so if it's a story, like I wrote, I read one about, you know, Bane, right? And uh, Darth Bane and just kind of the moves he would do. And I'm like, I might read that paragraph two or three times just to kind of get the idea, yes, right? And so with digital, I mean, you could do that, but it's just not the same. Or with audio, it's definitely not the same. You got to rewind it four times. I mean, so. I like having the voice that I hear in my head, you know, because if, yeah. if, if I've read one book and then I get another one and it's an audio book, I'm like, well, that's not what I thought it sounded. I'll, I'll be, I'll be focusing yeah. on that. It doesn't sound like I thought it would. The whole, like when I was a kid, I had, a, I'm a huge Star Wars fan too, but when I was a kid, I had a, a Star Wars book that came with a record. And the whole reason I liked that one as an audio book was because it was the characters who were in the movie actually reading the book. So it was R2-D2 and mm. C-3PO and Luke's, you know, Mark that's Hamill cool. reading it. And that was cool when yeah. it's those characters, that's but cool. if it's just a straight book, no, I have, and the same thing. And I've, and I do professional voiceover. I have friends that record audiobooks for a living, and I've never listened nice. to one of them. I just, I can't, it's just, I can't <laughs> do it. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's different, man. It's yep. different. So I got to ask, since you lived in Seattle for a while, maybe maybe you were too young when you were there, but did you, uh, as a martial artist, did you ever get to visit Bruce Lee's gravesite? I did, yes, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely. on my list. I've never got to. I've never been to Seattle. It's, it's, I'm, it's, it's on my bucket list. Yeah, man. I mean, it, I have. It was, uh, I mean, and as a kid, I mean, kids are like, you don't want to do what? You want to go visit Bruce Lee's gravesite? Mm-hmm. like, yeah, absolutely, bro. Like, do you know who this is? Like, this is the Bruce Lee, you know? Um, but uh, yes, sir. Yes, I have. Yeah. That's and cool. Really, really cool. And it's actually a big park uh, that had, I mean, I mean, Seattle's changed so much since I was there. Yeah. Um, but it's at a big park in central Seattle, right down from what used to be called a group health hospital. Okay. I'm not sure what it's called now, but yeah. It's right there. Yeah, no, I, I believe it's Lakeview Cemetery is where it's actually at. So Lakeview, yeah. that's it. I'm hoping yeah. my, my goal is in the next two to three years. I want to get out there. We'll, we'll see if I can make it that's happen. That's it. All right, so you've primarily been a traditional martial artist most of your life. I'm curious, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on like MMA and the UFC? Is that something you're a fan of? The For me, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a fan. I haven't really got into it. I think that the guys that do it, it takes an incredible amount of athletic ability and, and grit and will to do it. Uh, I, I mean, I admire and respect the amount of level of training and discipline it takes to be a UFC person uh, or to be an MMA person. Like I have the, I, mean, I think it's a, a great arena for guys to be able to compete and just to, you know, at, at that level, uh, I think that it's amazing. I like that it's not as gruesome as it used to be. I, I you know, that it's kind of gotten more competitive. But I think that, you know, it's given a lot of guys and, and women, right, a lot of people, a lot of purpose in their life, right? Like anything that's going to make, give people purpose and, and have them focused on something positive and be able to channel their passion, I think is great. And so, you know, for me, you know, it's not 
not necessarily my bag of tea just because I wouldn't necessarily want to be getting kicked in the face and all that uh, for a living every day. <laughs> uh, but for the people that have that level of grit and that are cool with that, I mean, because you got some real, like, bad guys and girls out there, man, that's doing some real amazing stuff. And I'm like, man, go for it. Live out your dream, right? So I don't – so like I said, for me, I, I wouldn't have been a guy that went and did MMA um, or did, you know, a cl- or, uh, you know, competed at that, that level. That wouldn't have been my style. For me, it was more for self-defense. But, you know, my hat's off to anybody that, that sees that and says, hey, I want to be a champion. I'm like, go for it. Nice. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that rises to the top? You keep coming back to it. It's super important to you. Yeah. And I mean, ironically, it comes from Bruce Lee, which is just, you know, just be water, right? Nice. Just be like water yep. because it transcends to life. And I think that it transcends with with martial arts, right? It's just. Like right now, like we were talking about earlier about different martial arts and stuff that I'm interested in now and learning. That's being like water, like like jujitsu is a big thing and like mixed martial arts is a big thing right now. And so it's like, hey, man, hey, if that's what's going on in 2023, get into it. You can only benefit from it. it you know, the stretching, the learning, the different techniques, the challenge in your mind. Uh, and then that transcends to life, right? It's just being like water, man, just being able to pretty much adapt and go with things and and but then at the same time, water is very, very, very forceful and necessary. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that philosophy as it pertains to martial arts has been something that that has really, really, really stuck with me uh, in my life. I like it. All right. I have some fun questions to wrap it up. Now, this one sure. doesn't have to be exactly four. I've had people give as few as two and as many as eight. So it's, it's kind of up to okay. you. But three, four, five names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, 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 wow. I used to oh, only ask my. for one name and I switched it to the to Mount Rushmore because people kept that's doing hard. way more than one. <laughs> so Yeah, that's hard because there's there's so many. Oh man. Uh <laughs> famous people. Okay, we're talking about famous people. Well, it's it's uh, I've had people list only their own instructors. I've had people list only yeah. people they've trained with, only people they know. I've had people only list celebrities. It's completely mm-hmm. up to you. I mean, obviously like Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris are the two most picked ones. Probably most picked hands ones, down. Yeah. And there's yeah. other ones people pick people have never heard of. And, you know, so sure. it's, it's completely your call. Sure. Hey, I'll give you, for me, just like the people that I think shaped my my love for it. If I did it that way, right? Just people mm-hmm. that shaped my love for it, especially as a kid. I would say just my love for martial arts as a kid. I would have to say, of course, Bruce Lee as a kid, but I'd have, you know, like Jim Kelly. Nice. Uh, I'd have to say Sho Kasugi, and who actually was never studied ninjutsu, which is interesting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, which, is, which, which was a whole revelation for me when I realized that. I was like, what? Me you too. Uh, <laughs> yep. Like, why? You gotta be kidding me. Like, he was the only ninja that ever was. What do you mean? Like, he was the yep. master. What are you talking about? Like, he was all TV. Like, you gotta be kidding. And then we'd have to go with, my gosh, let me face around here. Those three i love of course i mean you love chuck norris but mm-hmm. I, I think i think for for a lot of us once we saw chuck norris get beat up by bruce lee it was kind of like <laughs> uh but he had to right yep. bruce lee's movie and i don't necessarily know if bruce lee would have got chuck norris like that in real life it might have been pretty hard because chuck norris was, was real was was it was, was a cold dude but then you also got people like billy blanks uh did a lot of a lot a lot of movies mm-hmm. uh michael j white yes. uh is another one just for guys that just kind of like real martial artists that really like did these really cool things for me as a kid uh watching that Steven Seagal got me into like wanting to learn like these like locks and stuff like that which mm-hmm. is when I found Hapkido I was like okay 
that's the closest thing to to see with Seagal because I my issue with with Aikido was there were no kicks and punches and it's all a defensive technique, yep. uh, which is still hella effective. You know what I mean? But I, you know, I just want to be able to kick somebody and then break their arm. You know what I mean? Kind of overkill with where I was as a kid. You know, like you know, it's so yeah. Those would be mine. I mean, I you know, Bruce Lee, Jim Kelly, um, Michael J. White, um, you know, Billy Blanks, Chef Norris, Shokusugi. If I had to pick one mm-hmm. that influenced me the most as a kid, and then oh god. I know you didn't ask for that, but it would yeah. be right up there. It was probably like Shel Kasugi would probably be the one because uh, as a kid, I just I wanted to be a ninja. You know what I mean? Like that was just my every Halloween. That's what I was. I was always outside, like crawling through some mud or doing something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I got something I just thought of as a Bruce Lee fan and a Jim Kelly fan. Did any of your local theaters show uh, Enter the Dragon this summer for the 50th anniversary? You know, if they did, I didn't know about it. So I was working at the summer camp. Man, um, okay. But I love the movie. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love the movie. Yeah, man. That was the I first time the movie, I ever though. saw it on the big screen. I had never seen it on the big screen before, so that was quite an experience. I know it was, man. Like, I, I can only imagine what that was like. I mean, the, the only time I've ever even seen it on a big screen like that was probably in uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. <sighs> uh, in that scene when they're yes. in the movie theater. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's like, awesome. That's, yeah. That would be cool. I, I could, that would be cool to go watch. I want my boys to watch some Bruce Lee stuff. And my, um, my son asked to go with me when I said I was going. My 19-year-old said, can I go with him? I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> like, yes, you can. Like, yep. let's go. Like, absolutely. Yeah, like, that was get cool. Into it. All right. Yeah, man. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Huh. My, oh, man. Oh, and it's, oh, I, I hate to even say that it's a favorite book, and I can't remember the, the exact name of it. So right now I'd have to say no because I know the book that inspired me so much. Okay. But right, and I and I, I'm almost embarrassed to say it inspired me so much because I can't remember the exact name of the book, but I've read it several times. You're not so the I first, so don't feel bad. <laughs> okay, great. Other right, people have forgotten them too. I'm like, man, I'm like, but it, it was just it was just a, a book that at the time was so impactful in just learning how to be an instructor, oh. perfect instructor perfect class i gotta get it to you like i gotta send it so that maybe in the notes because it's a great book for anyone that wants to be an instructor like i said i'm embarrassed i don't know the exact name of it but i still have the book i've read it probably a half a dozen times and highlighted it and because there's a quote in there that really made a difference in my life and one of the and as far as my teaching and what he said was that when you know that you're he said there's a there's a train stop when a dog is barking on the side of the road and he said no the train doesn't stop the train keeps going and so he said it doesn't pay attention to the barking and the noise and it was equating it to a person that when you know you're doing the right thing and that you're helping even the weakest of the people in the community which are the children you keep going and you do what it is that you know that you need to do and that was really important because our struggled with the confidence of can I teach a class okay. right and I struggled with that for a while right can I do this am I doing it right are they learning you know are they getting it am I the right person for this and so I struggled for a while and so reading that book really helped me out so I need to get you the name of that yeah definitely um, that's really cool because uh, happy student happy life I want to yeah. I want to get it for you so that maybe we could put it in the, in the notes cool how about a favorite martial arts video game were you ever a gamer absolutely I would man so um Man, we can go with, of course, I saw the first Street Fighter. Uh, I remember Street Fighter first came out. Shinobi, oh my goodness, was was really good. You have, uh, oh God, Street Fighter, you have 
What's the one with, uh, oh, golly, I'm like my brain. I need to take some more. Tekken, Mortal Kombat. Or something. Tekken was good. There you go. Yeah. Tekken. Because Tekken was a big arcade game. Yeah. Tekken was the one that I really, really liked. Really, really loved Tekken. Okay. Really loved Tekken. Cool. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I came from like the Kung Fu the legend generation yeah. of David Carradine. Oh yeah. Uh, when he first started, I mean, so, you know, watching that was pretty interesting. The, I mean, Chuck Norris was the one that was pretty much on TV uh, at that time when I was a kid, like, you know, Texas Ranger and all that. Yep, yep. Um, and um, then there was one with Ernie Reyes Jr. Sidekicks. Uh, sidekicks. There Loved we go. it. Yes. And, uh, yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Trying to get Ernie on the show. He said, yes, I just got to get him scheduled, but it'd be, I'm I'm hoping that because Disney owns that show, so I'm hoping they'll stick it on Disney Plus one of these years and can rewatch all the old episodes and stuff. So it would be man, cool. do that, man. That yeah. would be crazy. Yeah, it would be awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, get Ernie Reyes, man. Let me know when you do that one. Oh, definitely for sure. How about a favorite martial arts movie? Favorite martial arts movie would be Revenge of the Ninja with Shokasugi. Nice. I actually yeah. had um, Keith Vitale, who was in that movie. Wow, <laughs> was on my show. Yeah, yeah, he's one of really? my one of my guests. So yeah, he talked about wow. that. Talked about his death scene in that movie and stuff. So wow. Yeah, he oh, said his, his kid made fun of him for his death scene and everything. But yeah, it's, it, was a, it was that was a good interview. You'd probably enjoy that one. Man, wow. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that's cool. All right, final wow. final martial arts question. Now this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Just a favorite movie fight scene. Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Like, yeah when he's oh my god all time (laughs) the all time best fight scene uh, hands down yeah is enter the dragon fight scene right at the point where it's the last one where he's you know he's in the tournament he's training and then he gets out on the floor and and he just goes crazy on all the guys (laughs) yeah that's the all time that right there put him way up there man like that like enter the dragon like hands down so i I would have to see something else that was like because to me i would say everything else was fake Right, like we know that scene is fake, but yes. like everything else is fake. Like Bruce Lee was doing that for real. Like he really could have done that in real life. That's how it makes you feel, right? Yeah. Like he was the only person on the planet that could have kicked guys like that many guys. He's the only person beating 40, 50 guys like that by himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh my god, yeah. So that that would be my all time favorite scene, man. That with the nunchucks and the man, it's just yeah, bro. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, I got Bruce Lee stuff now. Hey, like, I'm, I like god. it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're if you're a soccer, I'm not really a soccer fan, but if you're a soccer fan, the the pro team in Seattle this year, their jerseys are like inspired by Bruce Lee this year because of the 50th 50th anniversary. Yeah, one of my old other guests told me about it. I gotta look that up. Yeah, what, actually, who's the soccer team in Seattle? I just look it up. Yeah, I'd have to look soccer it up too. Team. I don't I don't remember. Just pro soccer yeah. team Seattle and look up, put just Google Bruce pro Lee soccer team Seattle Bruce Lee and you'll find the jerseys are kind of cool. I'm tempted to order one even though I don't like soccer. Right. Yeah, I don't like soccer at all. <laughs> but if it's but if it's Seattle and it's Bruce Lee, I'm like I kind of feel obligated. Yeah. yeah. There you go. All right. So curious then, kind of final question, two part question. Yeah. You've done so much stuff. Any possible interest or anything in the future of you possibly writing a book or hosting your own podcast with everything you've been involved in? Uh, I've written uh, a couple books on youth development. You have? Oh, um, very cool. Yeah, I did not know yeah. that. Okay. Um, not necessarily as it pertains to martial arts, mm-hmm. but it's more about development. I talk about martial arts in it okay. uh, and just how it you know, helped shape my life and, and give me structure. Uh, as far as a podcast, I've, I have found that I enjoy being on podcasts more 
uh, than actually running it and doing one just because I'm, you know, really kind of engulfed with like the magazine yeah. and, oh, and I, that stuff. That yeah. Send me the link yeah. to your books for sure. I'll make sure. Cause I, I have links for, I think most of your sites here, the I am defense site okay. and the campsite and the magazine site, but I want to make sure I get your books out there too. So people can check yeah, them right out. On. But so be, before I let you go, anything else, maybe I forgot to ask or, or forgot to mention that we want to get out there quick. No, nah, man, that's it. Cool. Like said, awesome. Good, man. I, I'm excited. Just, you know, just, um, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity, man. Just for, for any of the people that are listening to please, please check out the, uh, you know, the kids magazine. That's something that's really big on development uh, with the kids. And we'll make sure that we have parts in there for martial arts as well. Cause we want to make sure that we're highlighting kids that are in the arts. Cause it's important, but man, check out the mag, man. From the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank you. This has been so much fun. I, I love learning hearing about you and learning about your story and stuff. And I, like I said, when the episode comes out, I will promote the heck out of it and uh, put links out there and see if we can get uh, more people interested in what you're doing absolutely and i'll definitely promote it as well man and brian i appreciate it i appreciate you and i appreciate you having a podcast that that shares you know different people's experience about the art and just being able to bring the community together because that's extremely important because we can learn a lot from each other uh, especially as it pertains to teaching and, and just the experiences that we've all had i think that that's wonderful so appreciate it man and thank you so much Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.